And uh, I'm going to move this out because we're having some issues with lighting. So, yeah, um, orca, the killer whale, has been seen in the Northwood, Oregon area. So, um, yeah, so be careful when you're out and about driving. You might uh, meet up with him. So, yeah, so it's good to know that the Lord will not uh, flood the earth again, even though here in Northwest Ohio we're kind of wondering about that. Um, over the last few weeks, we've gone through a bunch of information. Uh, it's been kind of an information dump. Uh, we've been looking at a bunch of different uh, parts of the Bible, uh, passages, Old Testament, New Testament, kind of pulling together what God has, uh, what God says is going to happen at the end of time, because it's all going to happen uh, at some point. It's all going to come to an end at some point. But just want to give you a heads up, starting next week in four three or four weeks in June, we're going to sit in one chapter of the Bible. Uh, we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 8. And uh, the great thing about Romans chapter 8 is it gives us, um, as I'm putting it, it, kinda, it gives us uh, what we need to do be, to be successful in the sense of when, when life throws whatever it's going to throw at us, um, whether it's family stuff, work-related stuff, health issues, whatever it is, Matthew 8, or Matthew 8, Romans 8, uh, just helps us understand how do we respond back to that. And um, it's just, it's an awesome chapter, and um, so we're going to spend several weeks stuck in that one passage, um, and so hopefully you guys will be back here for that. Uh, invite your friends, family, come on back for that. Also, just wanted to say that um, on the 16th, just remember, Father's Day, Donuts, for dad and bacon. So grab your dad, find somebody on the street who's male, take him, bring him, whatever, whatever it takes for you, just bring somebody male with you. I don't mean like male, handing out male, but a person. It'll be kind of interesting if you see somebody walking down the street on that Sunday morning, you put them in your car and take them to church, it'd be kind of interesting to see what the dynamic is there. Um, you know, so I'm just saying. All right, well, we've made our way through uh, this timeline that we've been looking at over the last several weeks. And um, so last week, we talked about, we ended the tribulation period, Christ's return, that Jesus Christ came back to the earth at the end of the seven-year tribulation, and we who are followers of Christ, who are raptured prior to the tribulation, we come back with him, and we are going to fight with him, alongside of him, which is kind of a cool uh, thing we were talking about in the staff meeting this week, that uh, for some of us, that's the first time we've ever won anything. You know, we are able, it was funnier in staff meeting. Um, so, you know, a lot of people say, well, I never win anything. Well, you're going to win a battle, which is pretty cool, because uh, we'll be with Christ, and we'll be able to win. And uh, the other thing is, I think Pastor Tim was mentioning this, he said, you know, it's the first battle that people won't be in fear. You know, we were talking about World War II, and when the guys were landing on D-Day, and, you know, guys were vomiting before they got out of the transports, and this is going to be one where no fear on our side, right, because we've got... Christ with us, and, um, and so we're going to be able to battle and to win. And so at the end of that then, um, he takes uh, the, uh, the beast and the false prophet, he throws them into the lake of fire, and then after that, uh, all those um, who followed after the beast, they're destroyed, okay? And they'll, we'll be talking a little bit about them later on. And then, in Revelation... 20, it goes on to say this. Now we're going to move on our tra in our uh, timeline. 
says this, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding the key of the abyss and a great chain in his hand, and he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, Genesis, so we're taking this all the way back to Genesis, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he threw him into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over him so that he would not deceive the nations any longer until a thousand years were completed. After these things, he must be released for a short time. So, he's, so um, John's getting this understanding that there's going to be just a thousand year period. Jesus returns, some things happen, but then at the end, and Satan is bound, unable to do certain things, and at the end of that thousand years, he'll be released. Oh, then I saw, sorry, sorry, I thought he hadn't changed it yet. Then I saw thrones and they sat on them, and judgment was given to them. Who are these? Well, I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded or killed because of the testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God in the tribulation period. And those who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received the mark on their forehead, which we talked about last week. If you weren't here last week, um, there's a chip now that they can put in your, the fatty part of your hand. And so companies are doing this, even in the United States. And so they're able to put a phone up to it, and you can transfer your information to the phone. You can, a guy in Sweden has his whole apartment complex and his business set up where people just walk up and put their hand up to that, and boom, they can get in. Um, so this idea of having this mark of the beast where you trans, uh, do all your transactions computer-wise, back in the day made no sense. Today, perfect sense. That's obviously something that could happen. So they didn't receive it on their forehead on their hand, and they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life, so those who have not given their life to Christ did not come to life until a thousand years were completed. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. He's talking about those who have been resurrected uh, Christians. And the rest... And the rest of the dead did not come to life. Oh, that's his. Yeah, sorry. Um, man, I'm a little off this morning. Sorry. So Jesus deals with Satan. He has an angel throw him into uh, the abyss or the, the lake of fire. Uh, the abyss, pardon me. Um, and he has him there for a thousand years. Um, so what I want to do is I want to just kind of look at some of the details here. And then we're going to look at the, the purpose. What's the purpose of the millennial, millennial kingdom? I mean, why don't we just, why doesn't Jesus just come back, destroy everybody, and then just start the whole new heaven, new earth, eternity, and that kind of thing? So the details. Uh, again, Satan's imprisoned. So now he's unable to deceive or influence or blind people spiritually. Mankind is not influenced by that external pressure to sin and will only struggle against our own heart issue our own heart, uh, its desire to sin. So the millennial kingdom is kind of an unusual period of time, thousand-year period of time. See, we're responsible for our choices. The things that we think, the things that we say, the things that we do, the way we respond, we're responsible before God for that. And so in the millennial kingdom, Satan, who is one who tries to influence and does a very good job in this world, influence people to sin, motivate them to sin, keep people, uh, keep their eyes blinded, as it were, their hearts blinded to this incredible God that's there and who loves them and who's died for them, who's willing to take their sin away in order to have a relationship with him, um, who offers to take them to heaven 
and eventually the new heaven and a new earth one day. And so Satan tries to blind it. Well, that's going to be gone. There won't be any of that kind of influence happening because Jesus will be on the earth and Jesus will be reigning and he'll suppress and hold down sin. But there's still sin in mankind. Then John saw that uh, there's a tribulation martyrs. So we already have the church age believers. That would be us. So we were previously glorified, raptured, glorified. Come back, come back with Jesus, fight with him, fight alongside with him, rule with him. Now we have the tribulation believers. They're going to be resurrected. They're going to be glorified. means um, brought together with their physical bodies and be glorified. And will also rule with Jesus. So that's kind of what's going on. And then you have um, the others. You can go to the next one there, Carl. Um, unbelievers. So those during the tribulation period, they're now dead, and they'll rise after the thousand years. And we'll be talking about uh, the great white throne judgment and what happens there. He talks about having experiencing the second death. So they'll die physically like everyone does, but they're also going to die spiritually, which doesn't mean that they're going to no longer exist. What it means is they're going to consciously exist, but separated from God, uh, in a place that was really designed for Satan um, and his angels, sadly. So what's the purpose? Purpose of the millennial kingdom. Really, the purpose of the millennial kingdom, and why it's a thousand years, I couldn't find any good reason for it to be a thousand years, um, other than the fact that there's going to be a large number of people at the end that we'll talk about. But So what's the purpose? Why does God have it? Well, for God to be God... Um, he's made some promises, and he has to fulfill his promises. So it's kind of a basic answer, but it's a true answer. God said, I'm going to do certain things on this earth. I've made some promises. And so for God to be God, he has to fulfill his promises. And so we have some um, Old Testament promises. If you remember from our epic series back in the fall, we kind of went through the Old Testament, hitting some high points, and we talked about... Um, the fact that in the Old Testament, God was pointing towards Jesus Christ coming. And so he told Abraham, I'm going to bless the world through you. But prior to saying that, he said, I'm going to give you a certain border. I'm going to give Israel, your descendants, a certain border. Well, Israel, who is now a nation, which prior to 1948 hadn't been a nation for centuries, they come back, but they're still not in the land area that God had promised all the way back in Genesis 15. And so if they were to control that, that's the size that it would be. You have Turkey up on top, you have Iraq, and really it's the Euphrates River that runs through. Um, and then you have the Nile that comes all the way down into Sudan. And so in Genesis 15, he gives, God says, I'm going to give you from the Nile in Egypt to the great river Euphrates, and he names some other countries. And those other countries are these countries today. So if Israel had received all the property that God said that they were going to have, that's how much property they would have had, which is going to, we're going to look at that a little bit later too. So obviously, Israel's right there with the X. It's got a small portion there along the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, so that's a large landmass that they would have had Um, i just cut out there for a second. So then the other promises are this. 
uh, David's throne was to be an everlasting throne. So in 2 Samuel, uh, God tells King David, your throne will last forever. It will be an everlasting throne. And so in other words, David's descendants were going to rule on the earth and it was going to be an everlasting. So they'll rule. Jesus is a descendant of David. And so he will rule on this earth. He is God and so he will rule for eternity. And then all Israel will be saved. This is kind of an interesting um, promise. So in Ezekiel 20, Jeremiah 31, and then Paul references it in Romans that all Israel will be saved. Well, we know today that the very small, small percentage of Jewish people have accepted Christ as their Messiah, as their King. The vast majority of them are secular. They have no religion, and there's a few who practice Judaism to the point that they can. But there's a promise that all Israel will be saved. So, how is that going to happen? Simply this. The, those, uh, if you guys remember talking about in the tribulation, you're going to have 144,000 Jewish people who are going to be like evangelists. 144,000 Jewish men. And they're going to go out into the world and they're going to tell people about Jesus Christ. You're going to tell them, die on the cross for your sins, place your faith in Christ. Now, we don't know if any or how many might come to know him, but certainly all the Jewish people in the tribulation that God is protecting in the wilderness that we talked about, those will move into the millennial kingdom so all of Israel will be saved. All those who are currently living on the earth at the point of coming into the millennial kingdom will be saved. And so he fulfills that. And then we have some New Testament promises related to um, Christians or first century type people, people who place their faith in Christ. So Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 19, you'll reign with me. You know, let me back up. Um, just a thought that popped into my head. Jesus doesn't, in the Bible, doesn't just say things to say things. You know? So Jesus didn't say to his disciples or any of the others, hey, you're going you're gonna to reign with me. When Jesus said that, he meant that. He meant that they're going to reign. They're going to rule with Jesus. And we'll see, again, a little bit more about that. Jesus, to Christians in Revelation 2.26 and 3.21, he says to us, we who are Christians today, we're going to rule with Jesus on the earth. Now, for those of us in the church age, we'll have glorified bodies, which is kind of cool, disciples as well. Um, the heavenly beings declared this to be true in Revelation 5.10. And then Paul in 1 Corinthians and 2 Timothy said that we're going to be ruling with Christ. So he said it's going to happen, and so um, it's going to happen. And he, he didn't say it just to have some words to say. He didn't get paid by the word like I do. He just said it, and it meant something. But let me just kind of throw something at you before I continue on. So think about that. You here this morning who have placed your faith in Christ, who are a follower of Christ, when you get raptured, when your glorified body meets your spirit, and you come back to earth, I'll be there with you. When we come back to earth, we're going to have some ruling and authority responsibilities. So Jesus Christ is going to reign, and then he's going to hold, sin is going to be held down, but there's still going to be issues, there's still going to be sin, there's still going to be people that need to be 
directed and encouraged, and he talks about them being priests. And so there's going to be opportunities for people to gather in worship, like we're doing, and for somebody to stand up and talk about how great Jesus Christ is, and you know, all that's going to be going on. And every one of us are going to have some role, some responsibility, some authority in God's, in Christ's kingdom. So I don't know where you're at in your understanding of Scripture, or maybe even your own personal view of yourself, but Jesus is saying, when I have you with me, you're going to have responsibility. And so it just, as I was thinking about that this, this week, it's just, that's just awesome. Why would, why would he do that? You know, but he's, he chooses to do, to do that. It's pretty cool. Well, that brings us to the, uh, how the, down to where how the millennial kingdom ends. Um, verses 7 through 15. So this, when the thousand years are completed, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations. We'll talk about who those are, which are the four corners of the earth. Gog, Magog, and we talked about that last week, that this is not the same Gog and Magog. It was at the beginning of the tribulation. This is more referring to the attitude, the heart, the hatred that these people had for God, for Christ, for Jerusalem. So it was the same kind of attitude. To gather them together for the war, the number of them is like the sand of the seashore. So there's a bunch of people that are showing up. And they came up, uh, came up on the uh, broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints in the beloved city, talking about Jerusalem, and fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone, where a beast and false prophet are also. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat upon it, and from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books, according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. And death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So we have Satan released. <clears throat> and uh, so God at the end, or Christ at the end of, of the thousand year, he releases Satan for one last battle. And he deceives the nations, he surrounds Jerusalem, and the people who join him number like the sands of the sea. In other words, there's a large number of people at the end of 1,000 years who join up with Satan to come against Jesus at Jerusalem. So if you're following me, uh, which I know is probably difficult this morning, but if you're following me, you might have some questions, Okay? And so you figure you have some Jewish people who have come to Christ and maybe some non-Jewish people who have come to Christ who come into the tribulation. The numbers probably do not equal the sand, the number of sand on the seas, all right? Um, but then at the end of th a thousand years, you do. So who are these people? So let's answer these questions. Who are these people? These are the offspring of those who God protected through the tribulation and entered the millennial kingdom. So for a thousand years, 
you're going to have people who are um, having children. And children growing up and getting married and having children and growing up and getting married. And you're going to have a large number of people after a thousand years who end up at the end of the millennial kingdom. Well, how can there be so many? Well, remember that sin is suppressed, including its impact on nature. Now think about it. Why do we have so much rain right now? It's because when Adam and Eve sinned, that sin went and actually permeated throughout nature. Hurricanes, tornadoes, tsunamis, rain that seems to be like way too much at any given time, and then not enough at other times. All done away with. It's going to be as perfect as it possibly can because Jesus is on the earth. And he's keeping things suppressed sin-wise. Illnesses will be suppressed. So the cancers that we deal with, uh, you know, uh, diabetes that we deal with, high blood, sugar, uh, high blood pressure that we deal with, all that stuff is going to be suppressed. In fact, in uh, Isaiah uh, 11 there, it talks about the lion will lay down with the lamb. You, you might be familiar with that passage. Well, that's their millennial kingdom. The, the animal kingdom won't be attacking each other. And so it's going to have this time of um, incredible, probably as close to what the Garden of Eden was, maybe is a better way to put it, than what we certainly have today. And so those from the tribulation period will come into the millennial kingdom and they'll be able to repopulate the earth in a thousand years very quickly because there's nothing stopping them. In fact, there's a debate as to whether death will happen. If you remember prior to the flood, um, people lived to almost a thousand years. While people coming into the millennial kingdom, there's a debate as to whether they'll even die during that time because sin is suppressed. It'll be very close to the way things were prior to the flood. And, and, and in that sense, we'll be able to repopulate and you know, bring a bunch of people onto the earth. Well, then why would they rebel against Jesus? Think about it. You have all these people on earth. Life is as close to the Garden of Eden as it can be. Life is as perfect as it's ever going to be. How in the world would somebody say, I'm against Jesus? It, right? It doesn't make sense. If, if life is going good for you, which it sounds like it will be in the Millennial Kingdom, why reject Him? So all people must place their faith in Christ to be saved. That's what Scripture teaches you can't get to heaven any other way. You can't be in God's presence for eternity any other way but by placing your faith in Christ. Conditions are going to be perfect. Jesus is physically on the earth. Everybody can see him. Everyone can hear him. You know, those that are not glorified can turn on the TV or whatever and they'll see him. And he'll be able to move around, so maybe he'll show up, you know, different places, which would be pretty cool. But here's, here's the deal. It shows... Sin is a personal heart issue. It's almost as if God's saying, listen, some of you people have said, well, sin is, my, sin is because of how I was raised. It's my parents' fault. Or sin is because of where I was raised. It's the culture's fault. It's government's fault. I do what I do because somebody else made me do it. During the millennial kingdom, nobody's going to be making you do anything. Satan isn't there to influence anybody. 
The only spiritual influence on the earth will be Jesus Christ himself, as close to the Garden of Eden as we could possibly get it. And what happened in a perfect garden? When given the choice, Adam and Eve said, I'll be God. I'll be the sovereign one in my life. The millennial kingdom is going to have so many people that when they get the opportunity to act like they're worshiping Jesus or to follow Satan, will follow Satan and go to battle against Jesus Christ, who is sitting on the earth. Because sin is a heart issue. Sin is me wanting what I want when I want it. Me saying to God, that's okay, I got this. And sadly, millions of people, even when Jesus is physically on the ground, are going to reject him and say, no thanks, I got that. So Jesus quickly defeats with fire from heaven (laughs) that large mass of people, including Satan. It's kind of anticlimactic when you think about it. But then we have the great white throne judgment. So this is prior to getting into uh, the new heavens and the new earth. And there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth because of point number one. Heaven and earth fled away. They no longer exist. What we know of today will not be here. It's not shoved away in some sort of storage room. It's gone. Absolutely no longer existing. It fled away at the presence of the great white throne judges. It's just, it's just these people and Christ. All who have ever lived from the beginning of time until that battle, who have trusted in something other than God, will be standing before Him and will be having to answer for what they trusted in. The book of life is opened. The book of life has the names of all those who place their faith in God's plan for salvation, Jesus Christ. That's the book of life. He doesn't need to deal with the book of life because all those are with him. Okay, so this, there's no Christians standing before him. This is all those who have not placed their faith in Christ. It's the books of deeds. There's a book of life, but there's a lot more people who are saying, don't worry, God, I got this. There had to be books. So the books of deeds. These are the people who said, that's okay. Um, I'm going to trust my plan for salvation. And whatever it is. They may try religion. Uh, they may try uh, just plain old good works. Uh, they may try you know, whatever else people try as it pertains to salvation. They may even say, I don't even believe there's an end to the world. Here, what you're talking about is you're a whack job. Well, you know, that's fine. Call me that. I've been called worse. But uh, Scripture does teach it. And I'm going to trust what God has to say. We've already talked about all the ways he's been right. And then we have the new heaven and new earth. All those are um, they're at the great white throne judgment. They're thrown into the lake of fire. They experience a second death. Uh, again, a, a place that was designed for Satan uh, is then also designed, sadly, for humans who want to act like they're Satan in the sense of their attitude towards God and not wanting to do life God's way. And then we have the new heaven and new earth. That's 
Revelation 21 and 22, and I'm not going to take a whole lot of time reading through that at all. In fact, you can read it at home. Um, I'm just going to do a real quick description because I want to get to the, to the kind of wrapping this all up. So, early on in Revelation um, 20, uh, 21, there's no longer any sea. So, the new heaven and the new earth. So, the new earth is not going to have any sea in it. So, for those of you who don't like to swim, you don't have to worry about, you know, like I always get nervous if I were to fly over an ocean and a plane were to crash. I don't care how many buoys you have out there, life support things out there, whatever, I, I would die. I get on, a, I get on a, a life preserver and it sinks. All right, so I'm glad there's no sea happening, I'm just saying. Uh, there's a, what they call a new Jerusalem coming down. There's no tabernacle or temple because God's with us. So, you know, that's pretty cool. No more tears, no death, no mourning, no crying, no pain. All the stuff, you know, we're talking this morning with some people who have physical issues. My brother just had back surgery. Um, I've had, I don't know how many different surgeries. Um, all the pain that I feel on cold, rainy days, nothing. It's going to be perfect. Glorified body. You're all going to be bald and be a little bit overweight. Um, and then we have a description of the new uh, Jerusalem. So, and again, this is, this is John, first century guy who doesn't know what's happening today looking into our future. So he's trying to come up with words that describe what he's seeing. And it's very difficult for a first century person to do that. So, you know, we have to kind of use our thinking. And I was going to put some pictures up here, but the pictures that they use to try to describe this look really weird. So I didn't put them up. So just use your little, you know, uh, imagination hat, put it on. So massive jasper stone. It looks like a massive jasper stone coming down out of the sky. It has 12 gates. There are 12 angels at each of the gates. Um, each of them are named after uh, one of the tribes of Israel. And there's like a massive pearl for the door. Again, first century guy trying to come up with what this is looking like. The walls, uh, the, the 12 foundational stones for the walls were named after the 12 apostles. So that's kind of cool. you know. Um, it's 1,500 miles long, wide, and tall. 1,500 miles. So I thought, that's interesting. How far is it between the Nile River in Egypt and the Euphrates River in, um, in Iraq, present-day Iraq? So it's 1,700 miles between Cairo, Egypt, and Baghdad. And the rivers, you know, river flow right out of Cairo and kind of through Baghdad. So, but if you think about it, if you want some walk-around room, the 1,500 miles would fit right in between those two rivers, which is kind of cool. So, if, you know, if you were to make this a square, in other words, the new Jerusalem is going to be massive. It's going to be, you know, a massive building or city that's going to be um, for us to see and, and be a part of. So, anyways, pretty cool. Um, the walls are 72 yards tall, which is in... Uh, Back in the day, to use cubits, 144,000 cubits. That's kind of cool, you know, isn't it? 144,000, 144,000 witnesses. Yeah, okay, well, work with me. So anyways, we talked last week, 144,000. Um, God's present lit the city. So I told my son that one yesterday. He's like, God's lit. <laughs> anyways, but there's no sun. No need for light because God's presence is lighting it. Lighting things up. The river of life flowed from the throne of God and the Lamb through the city. 
There's a tree of life with 12 kinds of fruit on each side of the river. And um, so one of the sad things is, and I'm sure our taste buds will adjust when we have glorified bodies, but we're not going to be eating meat, as far as I can tell. Um, We're just going to be enjoying fruit. But again, I think my taste buds will probably adjust as I mature. You know, when I was a kid, I didn't eat certain foods. Now I'm an adult, I do eat certain foods. When I'm glorified, I'll probably enjoy the fruit. Um, But... Anyway, I mean, I'm just kind of working through that, helping some of you guys. But that's, you know, that's the new Jerusalem. That's the new earth. That's what we're going to be living in. So let me wrap it up. Um, again, a lot of information, and, and, you know, you guys are probably a little bit glassy-eyed this morning. Number one, God doesn't give us everything we want to know, but he gives us everything we need to know. So we always say, well, Lord, what about this? And what about this? And what about that? And what about this? If he wants us to know, we'll know it when we get into the new heaven and new earth. But what we need to know to get into the new heaven and new earth, he's given us. The world will end. We talked about this again last week. Do we take God at his word? Do we believe everything the Bible teaches, as strange as some of it might be? Listen, the way God asks us to live life is completely opposite of the way the world lives life. And so just that alone is kind of strange to people. And so I get it that this end time stuff is kind of shocking, if you've, especially if you've never heard it before. But again, we've looked at things that are happening today that could easily be impacting what happens in the future. It's, you know, so the world will end. He's provided the way to heaven. And that's not New Hampshire, New England, or uh, Nebraska. That's New Heavens and New Earth. I just didn't want to type it all the way out. So he doesn't give us everything we want to know, but he gives us everything we need to know. What God has given us is meant to encourage us, we who are saved. It's meant to encourage Christians to worship. And when I say worship, I don't mean just coming here on Sunday morning. I mean with your whole life. I mean giving your life to Christ and doing life his way. That's worship. And so these words, as Daniel talked about in the Old Testament, and as John talks about in Revelation, if you read the end of Revelation, John falls at the feet of the angel to worship him, and the angel says, no, don't worship me, worship God. And John's life, even though he died soon after this, John's whole entire life was committed to worshiping God in the sense of doing what God has called him to do to share the gospel with people, to help people grow in their faith. Daniel, when he had all this stuff in the Old Testament, he would fall on his face in prayer and worship before God. And he lived long, or relatively long, after his, the things that he saw and the things that he understood and wrote down. And he represented God in a world that had no use for God. And so understanding this, you guys, as we get this and we think about it and we pray about it, we should just be moving out into our lives to worship God, to make God look good, to, to be encouraged that, man, it doesn't matter what goes on in our lives today. Because one of these days, this is all going to be gone. This is just a blip in the radar of life. We're going to be spending an eternity in a place that's incredible. And we can deal with the issues today, do life God's way. So then the question is, we keep coming back to this, who will you tell? Who are you connecting with? 
Who in your life does not know Jesus Christ and God has placed you in that relationship, in that situation, that neighborhood, that place of employment, wherever it is, God has you there not for you to make money, not for you to make the nicest looking house in the neighborhood, though, you know, make it look nice and work, you know, do what you're supposed to do. You're there to make an impact for Christ. And if you're not thinking that way, well, you have to come back next week because you'll see what happens in a person's life who's not thinking that way, the frustration that comes. And the last one is this. What we know is meant to motivate non-Christians. Oftentimes, a, a non-Christian person would, be, would say this. If they heard the gospel, they would say, why is God so mean? Why is he so unfair? Why would he toss people into a lake of fire for, their, for an eternity that they'll be consciously in pain and agony, gnashing the teeth, Jesus said, separated from God? How could God be so mean? Wrong question. The right question is, why do people refuse God's offer? Listen, we talked about it in Millennial Kingdom especially. There was nothing there to cause a person to sin, to do life their way rather than God's way. That's what sin is. But they did it because sin is a heart issue. God doesn't make us sin. It's not God's fault that we're saying no to God. There's only two people who can die for your sins. You, which it'll take an eternity to pay for disobeying, disobeying God's laws, or God, Jesus. And he did. So I was kind of thinking about that. And why do people not want that? Why don't people not grab hold of it? So I found this. This is the United States um, Navy's hospital ship. It's massive. So envision the ocean being the world, and there's only one person who can get you on the hospital on the hospital ship, and he's got a life preserver, and he's saying, "Listen, this is the o- <laughs> this is the only ship on the ocean. If you don't get in here, then you're not going to get." You know, saved. You're going to die in the ocean. Let me throw you the life preserver. No, 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 no. That's okay. I got it. There's got to be another way on this thing. And so the person starts swimming, looking for something, some way to climb up on this. There isn't anything. <laughs> There's, but there is a life preserver that if you grab hold of it when it's tossed to you, because God thrown it so it's perfect toss, and hang on to it, pulls you up. It's, it's illogical, in my thinking, that you wouldn't grab it. Right? Unless you think that you can figure out another way into heaven. So God is trying to motivate people who don't know Christ. There is an end coming. And unfortunately, we've all sinned. We're not perfect. God can't have non-perfection in his presence. And so sin causes us to die physically, and it will cause us to die a second time unless we take the life preserver that God throws us. That's Jesus Christ. I can die for my sin. 
or Jesus can die for my sin. Jesus died for my sin. I took the life preserver. And a bunch of you guys out there have done that as well. So I want to close this morning with an opportunity for you to grab the life preserver. I can't finish this series without offering that life preserver one more time. Not from me, but from God. So just close your eyes and, and if you're a Christian here this morning, just be praying and asking God to help you become motivated to worship Him in your world and rep- represent Him well. But if you're here this morning and you haven't grabbed a life preserver, you're questioning, maybe I did, maybe I did, I'm not really sure if I did, now you mentioned it. Let me just uh, just give you a prayer that you can pray. It's really simple because salvation is very simple because God did all the work. And it's just simply this. You pray this, your heart to God, if this is a sincere desire for you to have your sins forgiven, a relationship with God in heaven one day. It's just this. Heavenly Father, I know that I'm a sinner and I'm separated from you. But I also know and I believe putting my full weight of trust that when Jesus died on the cross, He died for me. And I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I'm trusting in Christ and Christ alone for my salvation. Thank you for saving me. I just keep your eyes closed and heads bowed. If, if you've prayed that prayer this morning, again, you might have been going to church all your life and it's hitting you now that, man, I haven't made that decision. If you've made that decision this morning, would you just raise your hand real quick? I'd like to be able to pray for you. Praying to accept Christ as your Lord and your Savior. Go ahead and stand. We'll close this morning. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you for this morning. And uh, thank you for um, your word and, and uh, for the motivation that you give us through knowing that, man, in the end, we win, we're with you, not because of anything we've done, but because of everything you've done. And that you are um, our Lord and you're our Savior. And not only do you want to take us to heaven one day, but you're, you want to take us through this life and help us through each of the struggles and not just get us through the struggle, but to use the struggle to mature us and to make us more wise and and more than that, to make us um, people that other people can come to for understanding and insight into who you are. So Lord, I pray that as we leave here this, this morning and as we go out into our world and as we spend a week around people who need to know about who you are, I pray that you would give us opportunities. I pray you would motivate us to speak and to share what, who you are and what you've done in our lives or how you've impacted our lives or, or maybe just do something kind for somebody else and when they ask why you did it, just tell them, hey, listen, Jesus, it's going to sound weird, but Jesus died for me on the cross and, and it saved me and I just want to, to do what he wants me to do in other people's lives. Lord, again, thank you for this morning for each one that's here. Honor us, I ask, that, um, that we would see people come to Christ. Thank you for the three that did a couple weeks ago. We pray that that would continue to happen in the lives of each individual here as well as in our church together. We pray things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, thanks for coming.
coming with us. Get your uh, speedboats and rowboats all ready and head on home. Great to have you.